from D. James Kennedy Ministries. This is Kennedy Classics. Kennedy Classics. D. James Kennedy Ministries is standing for truth and defending your freedom. But we cannot do that without your generosity. With our new monthly automatic giving program, you can conveniently ensure that we are able to broadcast the gospel, train Christian leaders in Washington, D.C., defend religious freedom in court, and much more. Whether you can give $35, $50, or $100 a month or more through your credit card or bank account, your monthly donation will make an enormous impact for Christ, and it will entitle you to automatically receive our valuable monthly ministry resource. Contact us right away to join our convenient automatic monthly giving program and receive the powerful book, Make Your Life Count as your first monthly resource. By God's grace and with your help, we will impact our nation and the world for Jesus Christ. Hello, I'm Frank Wright, president of D. James Kennedy Ministries, where we are standing for truth and defending your freedom. Welcome to Kennedy Classics. We live in difficult times where evil seems to be permeating every facet of life, spreading rampantly while righteousness seems to be dwindling. The world is in desperate need of true heroes to step up and take a stand for truth. In America today, there is no shortage of people clamoring for positions of leadership. Many celebrities and sports stars use their influence to try to affect change for this or that fashionable political cause. But the numbers of true leaders, people who stand for truth without compromise, is no doubt on the decline. This is true in popular culture and the political realm. And it's also true, sadly, in the Christian church. We are in need of great world-changing heroes of the faith who are willing to take a firm stand for Christ. When Dr. D. James Kennedy decided to found a seminary in 1989 to equip ministers to proclaim biblical truth, he chose to name it after one of his own great heroes, the great 16th century reformer, John Knox. Dr. D. James Kennedy introduces us to this great Scottish founder of Presbyterianism in his stirring message, More Christians Like John Knox. His is a remarkable life, and I think that perhaps you will better understand why I chose his name to adorn the front of our seminary. And it is my hope that we may have not only more ministers like Knox, but more Christians like John Knox. Wife, he said, read that place where first I cast my anchor. 
And with no further instruction needed, she quickly turned to the 17th chapter of John and read from Christ's high priestly prayer. This is eternal life, that they might know thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom thou hast sent. That was the scene at the end, only minutes before his spirit left his body. But a great deal had happened since he first cast his anger into the solid rock. John Knox, the man after whom our seminary is named, John Knox, the great reformer of Scotland, John Knox, one of that great triad that brought about the Protestant Reformation. Martin Luther in Germany, John Calvin in Switzerland, and John Knox in Scotland. No man, said Carlyle, has ever so totally transformed any nation as did John Knox. He is considered the founder of Presbyterianism, of course, in Scotland, though he drew his doctrine from John Calvin in Geneva. But there are many aspects of the Presbyterian government and church which came specifically from John Knox. And his was a remarkable life in a difficult time. All of Europe had been sunk in superstition and ignorance of spiritual things for over a thousand years. But historians tell us of all of the countries of Europe that Scotland was the most backward, the most morally decadent, its church was most corrupt, and overall there was the most gloomy aspect of any nation in Europe. And that, in 1500, was saying a great deal. And into that kind of environment was he born in Haddington, Scotland, in the year 1505 four years before John Calvin would be born. He was educated at the University of Glasgow, where he distinguished himself for his keen intellect. He became a professor of logic and was famed for his skill in dialectics and his knowledge of philosophy and logic. In 1530, Thirteen years after the Protestant Reformation began, John Knox was ordained as a priest in the Roman Catholic Church, the church of his birth and the church of his rearing. He was a zealous follower of that church, in which he had learned all that he knew of religion. And for yet another 14 years, John Knox was to remain faithful to that communion. He had not yet, however, discovered what a Christian really was. Like many another person, he became a clergyman before he became a Christian. Isn't it interesting that that happened to all three, both Luther and Calvin and Knox also? And... That has happened to thousands of others since then. 
We have rarely seen a year go by, an evangelism explosion, that we don't have at least one clergyman get converted to Christ. In Knox's day, with the corruption and ignorance that prevailed throughout that country, it's really not too difficult to understand. In addition to his zeal for knowledge, the second thing that I would like to call your attention to was his tremendous faith. And that faith came to him only gradually as it dawned on the horizon of his heart and mind. He had been sunk deep in superstition, as most of Europeans were, and it is indeed tragic that what should be the source of the knowledge of the gospel of Christ had become the perverter of that knowledge and the source of oppression and covering up the truth of the gospel, namely the Church of Rome. And even as a clergyman, he was unaware of the teachings of the Scripture. You may recall that Martin Luther went into a monastery library, and there he found, to his utter surprise, something called the Bible. He was a clergyman, and he was a doctor of theology, and he'd never seen a Bible. Well, Knox couldn't find a Bible, but he did find a section entitled Writings Banned by the Inquisition. And is not the providence of God amazing? Guess what volume his eyes fell upon. And he removed, perhaps with almost trembling fingers from the shelf, it was a volume condemned by the Inquisition entitled The Institutes of the Christian Religion by some unknown Frenchman named John Calvin. And he read those, and when he did, it seemed that his heart began to glow and light began to fill his mind, and he finally managed to get hold of a Bible. And as he read the Bible, his eyes fell upon this word in the high priestly prayer of Christ in John 17, and this is eternal life that they might know thee, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom he had sent. And John Knox was born anew. The Holy Spirit of God was pleased to take those words and drive them into his heart and bring forth new life. He came to see the utter folly in trusting in his own good works and his own efforts to be religious, to have salvation, which of course was the almost universal view in Europe until the Protestant Reformation. And by the way, tragically, is still a common view in even many Protestant and Presbyterian churches today. Many and many a church member trusts in nothing other than his own piety, his own good works, his own strivings. But Knox had now cast his anchor into the Lord Jesus Christ, into solid rock. And that was good that the rock was solid, for there were furious storms that were about to break over the life of this man. He came across a young man 
number of years his junior, who was also a Scotsman and was declared to be the handsomest, they know they didn't use that word then, the fairest young man in all of the land. Furthermore, they said he was the fairest young man that had ever lived in the land of Scotland. He would have done well in Hollywood, would he not? But he had better things and higher things on his mind. His name was George Wishart. Now, Cardinal Beaton of the Roman Church had hired assassins to kill George Wishart. And when they failed, he offered a large reward to anyone who would kill George Wishart. But Knox had taken up with him, taken his side, and he began his first job in this Christian life. Do you remember what your first job in the Christian life was? I remember what mine was. I was showing motion pictures for World Vision, great missionary organization that finds places for orphans and takes care of the lepers in Korea and other places. Well, his was quite different from that. When George Wishart would stand to preach, Knox would stand in front of him with his great sword and swing it from side to side. And when you had sermons that lasted for an hour and a half or two, that took a brawny man to do that. And he could see men who would grasp their daggers under their cloaks and start to draw them out until that sword came too close. And so this is, was his job. And I would say to you students and would-be pastors, you think you will face hostility in the pulpit? Why, you've and probably will see nothing like unto that. Sadly, one day, apart from the pulpit, Wishart was taken. He was tried by Cardinal Beaton, condemned as a heretic, condemned to be burned at the stake, and they took him out to the stake. And uh, there, Wishard kissed the executioner on the cheek and said, My heart, do thy duty, as he forgave him. He knelt in prayer for all of the people that God would raise up stalwart men for the gospel. And as the flames roared around him, his voice was heard to cry, Bring more wood! I'm not consumed. But at length he died. And John Knox would never be the same again. He gave himself over to the gospel of Christ to proclaim the good news that he had heard Wishart proclaim. And uh, he preached the gospel with great fervor. He went to Edinburgh, and there in that great city he proclaimed the gospel. And unfortunately, uh, an army of Frenchmen was sent to put down the Reformation in Scotland, and uh, Edinburgh was surrounded and finally taken, 
and Knox was chained to a rower's bench in a French ship of war, and there he spent two years pulling on the oar, enduring the biting, stinging lash upon his back, while all of the time proclaiming the good news to his fellow passengers. He was taken with a fever and brought to the place almost of death, and the ship was anchored off the city of Edinburgh, and Knox lifted himself up off the deck enough to look out where the oars were, and he saw that city, and that, he said, that is where the Lord first opened my lips to proclaim the gospel, and by his grace he shall open them again at that spot. And young King Edward VI of England, he was a godly young man. He didn't live long enough to do much of anything, but he did intercede for John Knox and had him released. Knox went to Geneva. He remembered this young Frenchman, Jean Chauvin, whom we call John Calvin. And there, though Calvin was four years his junior, he sat humbly at his feet and he heard the Reformed faith and the scriptures taught in a way that he had never heard before. He had learned Latin and Greek as a young person, as did every young person. Don't they still do that today? Perhaps not. But now he was approaching 50, and he wanted to translate the Bible. And uh, he didn't know Hebrew, so he set himself at that late age, especially in that day, to learn the Hebrew language. And he so mastered it well enough to be able to translate the entire Bible from both the Hebrew, the Aramaic, and the Greek. You say, you've not heard of that. You've not heard of the Knox Bible? You say, yeah, I heard of that Bible one time. No, that's a different Knox. That's not John. You never heard of his translation of the Bible. Well, that's very interesting. Because it was the only translation of the Bible that the pilgrims would allow on the Mayflower. Uh, they would have nothing to do with this newfangled modern thing called the King James Version that had just come out. Oh, no. They wanted that good, solid Bible that was named not for the translator, but for the place of translation. It is called the Geneva Bible, one of the greatest of translations from the heart and mind and pen of John Knox. Finally, his courage, because regardless of how much knowledge, faith, or zeal we have, if we don't have much courage, we're not going to accomplish a lot in the ministry or, for that matter, in life. Let me say, it is my opinion that most preachers are cowards. It is also my opinion that most people are cowards, so that's not unusual that most preachers are cowards. But John Knox knew no fear, at least it seemed that way to those that knew him. He was a man of courage. Knox 
knew where his anchor was cast. He knew what he trusted in, and therefore he feared no one. In fact, when he died, the then acting King of Scotland came to the funeral and made this comment. Here lies a man that never feared the face of men. May we pray. O God, may our anchor be cast into that solid rock, which is Jesus Christ, trusting in his atoning death, resting upon his rising victory, and rejoicing in his glorious appearing, that when we shall see him face to face, We shall know, O Christ, that thou hast been sufficient for all the storms of life. God grant us that knowledge, that faith, that zeal, that courage that can make us also great ministers of the gospel of Jesus Christ. O Lord, Grant us more Christians like Knox. Amen. John Knox knew Jesus Christ as his anchor, and he faithfully proclaimed him without reservation, never fearing the face of men. Those of us who know Christ as Savior need to get involved in the culture if we are going to bring that transforming power of Christ to bear on our communities and nation. It's no small task, but if God calls us to do something, he will, by his Holy Spirit, enable us to do it. I hope you'll ask him today to enable you to make a difference for his kingdom. But you really can't help transform others or our nation if you yourself haven't been transformed by Jesus Christ. The good news is that eternal life is free because Jesus Christ paid for our sins and has purchased a place for us in heaven, which he offers us as a free gift. If you would like to ask him to come into your heart, to forgive you and cleanse you so that you may know peace with God in this life and the next, pray this prayer with me right now. Lord Jesus Christ, I'm sorry for my sins. Please come into my life and cleanse me, and forgive me. I receive you as my Savior and my Lord, and I thank you for the free gift of eternal life. Help me to proclaim your gospel boldly and faithfully, and it's in your name I pray. Amen. I hope you prayed that prayer, and if you did, then I want to be the first to welcome you to the family of God. And to help you grow in your Christian life, we would like to send you beginning again, the book Dr. Kennedy wrote for new believers. In this book, you'll learn how to pray, how to study the Bible, how to share your faith, and much more. To receive your copy of Beginning Again, just write to our address or call our toll-free number, and may God richly bless you. As Dr. Kennedy notes, John Knox was a great man who was not afraid to take a stand 
against tremendous opposition. We are in serious need of men and women to stand up and proclaim the truth of Christ. As we are still in the early stages of the new year, we know that many of you have concerns about where our nation is headed. And we would like to hear from you to find out what you believe are the most pressing issues facing our nation today. Contact us today to receive your Spiritual State of the Nation survey. Fill it out and return it to us right away, and we will give the results to President Trump, Vice President Pence, and your Congress member, plus their Chief of Staff. This is the time to let our leaders hear from us so they will know which issues we are most concerned about. Your input will also help guide our ministry strategy in 2019. To receive your Spiritual State of the Nation survey, simply write to us at D. James Kennedy Ministries, Box 11164, Fort Lauderdale, Florida, 33339. Or call toll-free 888-332-3069. Or you can go online to djkm.org forward slash survey. And if you are able to include a generous donation when you contact us, we will also send you the brand new book that we've just published, A New Birth of Freedom, by our own Dr. Jerry Newcomb with a foreword by William J. Federer. In this short book, Dr. Newcomb looks at the most critical challenges facing Christians in America today and offers solutions for national transformation, showing how a revival of the Spirit of God is the answer to our problems. This book will equip you to better understand and articulate what has gone wrong in our nation and how we can regain our freedom and prosperity. We will send you A New Birth of Freedom by Dr. Jerry Newcomb as our thanks for your generous donation. And no matter what, please be sure to contact us to get your copy of the Spiritual State of the Nation survey so that we can make your voice heard to our national leaders on what issues are most important to you as a Christian. Simply write to us at D. James Kennedy Ministries, Box 11164, Fort Lauderdale, Florida, 33339. Or call toll-free 888-332-3069. Or you can go online to djkm.org forward slash survey. And finally, have you thought about the legacy you're leaving behind for your children and grandchildren? Why not leave a legacy of biblical truth? D. James Kennedy Ministries exists to proclaim the gospel through every means possible and to help people articulate a thoroughly biblical position on the great cultural issues of the day. Consider helping us continue that vital mission by including us in your estate planning or your will. For more information on these or other plan giving options, contact Mr. William T. Allen, CPA, at 1-800-988-7884. He will be delighted to discuss at no cost to you naming this ministry in your will or your estate plan. That's 1-800-988-7884.
I'm Frank Wright. Thanks for joining us for this edition of Kennedy Classics. We'll see you next time. Today's program is available on DVD for your gift to this ministry of any amount. Please call, write, or log on to our website today. This has been a production of D. James Kennedy Ministries.